0: And welcome to the Commonweal Policy Podcast. I'm Craig and the Head of Policy and Research at Commonweal. The process of turning a policy or a manifesto promise into actual legislation for Scotland is a long, complex one. It contains many moving parts. It is important throughout that entire process that it is backed by evidence and the weight of democracy. As part of this process in Scotland, all new legislation and many government policies must go through at least one phase of public consultation. This involves asking the general public about their views on the proposals within the policy and then shaping the policy to better reflect the views that come back in. However, where the public have not responded to consultations and their voices have not been heard, the voices of interests within the affected sector's certainly have, and this has risked policy being shaped solely by vested interests. My guest this week is Simon Jones, political activist and founder of the Commonweal Consultation Club, here to discuss public consultations and how we can use them to make sure that our voices are heard by the government. Welcome, Simon. Really good to have you on the the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Craig. I'm a long-running fan of the podcast.
0: (laughs) So... First question, who are you and how did you get involved in political activism?
1: My name is Simon Jones. I'm a semi-retired career advisor. Um, I got involved in political activism because I think something needs doing. It's not right that we get trodden on and it's up to us to speak up.
0: And this has led you into this 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 process of uh, investigating government consultations and getting involved with them. Can you just explain what the the government consultation process is and why it's used?
1: Yes. The reason um, the government does consultations is very often because they quite straightforwardly don't know what to do. So we've got an upcoming one on dementia and some of your more politically minded uh, listeners will remember that Theresa May really scuppered a 2017 general election trying to fix dementia. It's a politically... Very difficult thing to do, but it's something that's very necessary mm. to do. And so, the Scottish government is trying to work out what to do. And that's why they're asking, and that's why it's important that ordinary people, and not just corporate interests, respond and tell the government what we want it to do.
0: Mm. So, uh, is this quite common that you you might get a government, a government minister, or or, or the government itself? Making a promise or coming out with a policy, and then only afterwards thinking, Oh, how do we do this? How do we deliver on the promise? If
1: you ask them, they would say, Oh, no, never. But if you ask me, I would say, Every bloom in time.
0: So, why is it important that our voices are heard within these consultations?
1: Well, I've always thought that the thing about fascism is you start off really good. You have this fascist government come in, and they make the trains run on time, and they build the motorways, and they get to full employment, and everything's organised. But because nobody ever talks to them, they become increasingly detached from reality and they start doing dafter and daft things. Now, we know this from history, but I think we also see it in the Westminster government now where they're just not listening to ordinary people and they've got policies and ideas and ideologies that are just so detached from what we want as people that they lose track. The, the job of consultations, the job of democracy, is to keep, is to correct course, is to the solve these institutional disasters in the making by having people go, no, I don't to really do that.
0: Hmm. And what happens when that kind of goes wrong, That we, when we don't respond?
1: Well, we recently had the ideological idea that we could just borrow loads of money to, ta- to cut taxes for the rich and the market crashed.
0: So if you think about some some consultations that you've you've had your eye on can you give us some examples um that where the general public's views haven't been heard and, and something's gone you know, there have been consequences to that
1: Yes there was one on air duty uh levy like this is basically should we tax um air fuel um mm-hmm. the aeroplane industries responded enthusiastically by saying no we shouldn't and everyone who cares about the climate or pollution or anything like that didn't bother to respond. So the government got all this information back from the people they asked for their views, saying, oh, no, 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 you know, I like, keep air duty nice and cheap so that we don't have to pay much for fuel. So if you think of it as a syntax, we've almost incentivized people to burn air fuel.
0: Hmm. I actually remember that one well personally because I was one of the very few voices who who responded in the negative to that one. I think it was, there were individual responses and we were talking about the, the power of individuals to respond to consultations. But on the against side from an organizational standpoint, there was uh us at Commonweal and there was Greenpeace, and that was about it. And um, I'll actually I'll stick a link to that consultation response uh into the description of the podcast if folk want to want to read it. Um albeit that the policy of air, air passenger duty has just completely disappeared since. So I don't know how relevant it is now. Let's let's look at the flip side though. Have there been examples where public opinion has led to massive policy change just in the way of response to a consultation?
1: I, I started Consultation Club because I had an amazing experience of replying to a consultation. I was one of the many people who told the Scottish Government about our awful experience of claiming disability benefit. Um, I had a terrible time myself. I know a lot of people have ended up killing themselves. A lot of people have had their money stopped unfairly. Um, It was an absolute disaster. Responding to that consultation, um, the Scottish Department for Social Security, Social Security Scotland it's called, have got a new benefit that came in in August. In some areas it came in a bit earlier, but basically it came across Scotland in August. And it's amazing. It's just night and day. I recently had to let a client down because I couldn't go into work because I caught COVID. And I was kind of worried about this very vulnerable young woman who needs the money and who I wasn't able to support. So when I came back to work, we got in touch. And she goes, oh, someone from Social Security Scotland got in touch with me and they just sorted it all out. And this was an absolute sea change for me. I couldn't believe it. I spent so long fighting to get people against a hostile environment that's trying to stop people getting their money. But the idea that the government just get in touch, you probably need some money, we'll fix that for you. And that's the difference of moving this benefit from the DWP, the UK-wide ministry, to the Scottish ministry. And that was partly in response to what we said in the consultation. We said, you have to fix this, it's terrible.
0: Hmm. Yeah, no, that. That is one of the positives that I've I've seen come out of the government as well. Uh, the, the, that approach to social security and the, the the humanitarian approach to it, rather than the the, the budget accounting approach, uh, at, at its best coming out of the UK, you know, trying to minimise the budget line. And at its worst, yeah, absolutely a hostile environment. For folk who are maybe wanting to get interested in the actual process of responding to a consultation. Um, can you just take us through your experience of, of of you've now done several of going through it and and where has it been easy? Where has it been hard?
1: Um, it's sometimes it's sometimes hard because you don't know what they're talking about. I responded to one recently that was basically about planning permission for electric vehicle charging points, and uh, I'm quite in favour of putting these charging points up. And um, obviously, different people have different views. Um, But it was all in technical language about PDRs, which is permitted development rights and stuff like that. None of it was expecting ordinary people to be able to understand it or get involved with it. But I did. I persevered anyway. And I sent them in the consultation with my response.
0: Is that something that um, you've seen in other consultations where they maybe haven't been expecting normal people to respond?
1: Um, it varies a lot. The dementia consultation, which is the next one we're doing in Consultation Club, it couldn't be more straightforward. It is pretty much, hi guys, what do you think we should do? <laughs> that's a consultation. I mean, you know, it's not, I'm not phrasing it exactly, but that's pretty much what they're saying. And it's very easy to understand what they're asking. The biodiversity one was subtle because I thought I understood what they were talking about. But as I went through it, I realised this is industry jargon, and this is the government talking, to the specialists in the government talking to the specialists in the environmental management sector, and they're using words like biodiversity in a way that ordinary members of the public would not recognise.
0: What are the pitfalls that you've, um, you've come across with, with these consultations? Is it that you know approaching technical language in a non-standard way or have you found even worse examples maybe leading questions or questions coming from a, a predetermined outlook
1: um well in terms of pitfalls I would say in a sense there are no pitfalls just answer what you think and you don't have to kind of fit into their structure so for example we had one on land reform and I said to the club Look, this is really complicated and it's really long, but if you just want to write, I think rich people have got too much land, full stop, submit, right? You can send that in and that's your vote on the thing. You don't have to get complicated and you don't have to be an expert. Um, That said, yeah, I mean, they can be tricky. We had one on land reform. And it was very much based on the idea that the way you manage the behaviour of very large landed estates in Scotland is by getting them to adhere to a, 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 a rights and responsibility statement. So they basically agree that they're not going to dump rubbish in the river. And like that, the big move of this consultation, of this law reform, was to change that from being voluntary to being enforced. But it's still kind of written with their, with them. So it's not, it's kind of, we're not really putting strong rules upon them. We're, we're asking them to set up a voluntary framework. And then once they've agreed the framework, then it becomes mandatory. So it's like we're making them do what they agreed to, but they don't have to agree to anything they don't want to.
0: I guess we're, we're kind of describing two ranges of consultation here between those that have very prescribed outlooks and very technical language um and and very narrow questions to the one like you mentioned in the dementia um consultation where there might not be any idea of how to take forward the policy and the questions become extremely open because
1: that, that is true but you can take a occam's razor approach to it right? you can just keep it simple if it's a long technical consultation about a subject that matters to you, then just tell them your live truth, tell them your view on it, and don't worry about fitting it into their boxes.
0: Is there anything that the Scottish Government could do in general to improve the consultation process?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think that it's a key part of democracy. If you think when we vote in a general election, if we got a really low turnout in a general election, like 3% or something, it wouldn't be considered a legitimate government it can't be a democratic government unless the people vote for it in consultations what they do is they take part of what you voted for in the general election which is amongst other things a manifesto they've so got this scottish manifesto they've got millions of votes and they said they're going to get uh, biodiversity sorted by 2045 but then the little pieces of the manifesto get dragged out into this democratic process so each line in a manifesto is pretty much similar to a consultation. So line by line, if you want to make sure that they're holding to their what they've said they'll do and what they intend to do and what we want them to do, what we voted them in to do, then we need to scrutinise their work and make sure they're doing it properly and help them. They might not know how to do it. Just tell them.
0: Mm. We certainly don't, don't want them to come back and say, right, OK, we promised to improve biodiversity. We put it out to consultation. Three industry voices replied to us and said, actually, biodiversity is a terrible thing. What we need is more monoculture. So we're following the, the majority vote in the consultations.
1: I just want to come back on that. It's actually more devious than that. The industry voices won't come back and say words and do monoculture. They'll say, oh, we absolutely want to do biodiversity. I'm putting up chimneys, which I think are wonderful for bats or something. Uh, Please pay me lots of fat government subsidies for doing this thing. It's not actually helping biodiversity at all, but I want to get subsidies.
0: Now, you mentioned in that biodiversity consultation that it became apparent that the Scottish government had a different idea of what biodiversity meant than the average layperson might have. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yes, I can. Um, I was doing research uh, into it so that I understood the subject, and I came across the Chartered Institute of uh, EEM, Environment Managers and something. Um, but anyway, they're the professionals who deal with advising people on how to tick climate and environment boxes to get the subsidies. Um, what they mean by biodiversity and why they're talking about net gain. Of biodiversity because it seems like mad. Like, how can you gain biodiversity? You're gonna unextinct the dodos. You can't do this, yeah. But what they mean is they mean habitats, they don't mean species. Mm-hmm. There's different types of biodiversity, there's genetic biodiversity, there's species biodiversity, and what they're talking about in this is counting habitats, but they don't count habitats that already exist, and they don't count habitats that are the wrong type to according to their list so it's a it's not a good way to do it Now, let me give you an example of how they would measure success if you have five woodlands and you've got two that have red squirrels in and three that have gray squirrels in and then in 20 years time you end up with six woodlands and they've all got gray squirrels that is plus one because they've gained plus one woodland they've lost minus one species but they've gained plus one woodlands. Now, that's a terrible way to present biodiversity. And this ties in with my example of how democracy corrects things. Because when um, when a minister says, we gain gained biodiversity in a public meeting, someone's going to stand up and say rhubarb or something stronger <laughs> because it's nonsense, right? And the reason it's nonsense and the reason that they're doing nonsense is because they've stopped talking to ordinary people.
0: How do you find the process of uh, just finding consultations? Uh, is, could that be made better?
1: No, it's really easy. You just sign up for the mailing list and it's just there. It's, I mean, yeah, I mean, everything can be improved, but, but I find it very difficult to find out what's happened to my views once I've submitted them. They just kind of, you just fire them off and you have no idea if anyone's listening. Um, I find it very difficult to get people engaged. I think we... I, I think you should fail a law if 1% of the population don't respond to the consultation. Unless you get people responding to it, I don't see how it's a democratic exercise.
0: Mm. I, I, I'm definitely with you on getting the responses um, uh, from my position here at Commonwealth HQ. Part, part of our job is not just to write consultations and, and submit them, but we also need to keep an eye on what's coming back um we, we are we always if we have submitted a consultation we do look for that final report if only to see if they mentioned us at all <laughs> um but we also look through the responses and it can be quite difficult to find them and it can be quite difficult to trawl through them especially when there has been several hundred or several thousand at times and i wonder how people do it um our, 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 Care Reform Group has recently been going through all of the responses to the National Care Service Bill consultation, for instance, to to try and find the the general trends. And we're going to work that into into a report that we will then compare to the official report and see if we agree or not on it. But it's a lot of legwork to go through all of those all of those responses and pick out the, the the useful information.
1: Well, I think particularly on an individual level, like you're not going to go through hundreds of responses. I think if you've made a, the trouble to send in your thoughts, they should get back and say, "We like your idea about taxing all the rich people on their land, but we decided not to do it because of X, Y, mm-hmm. and Z." Like, I think they deserve. I mean, maybe they could categorise it so everyone who wants a land tax on rich on large estates could get the, the formulaic response. But like, we should be told. Like, you know, they've asked us for our view, and it's like one side of the conversation. They didn't give us an answer. Unless, as you say, we trawl through hundreds of pages of documents.
0: Mm. Well, that'd be an interesting way of doing it, actually. Is, is we have identified you as someone who generally agreed with the prospect or generally disagreed with the prospect. However, the majority said otherwise or something like that.
1: or well, even the majority wanted us to, to do something, but we ignored them, which is a, another <laughs> thing that they do.
0: Mm. So uh, you've mentioned it. I mentioned it at the start, you are the founder of the Commonweal Consultation Club. What do you hope to achieve by this and what, what are you planning to do with it?
1: So I've been on the journey. I originally planned to have a bunch of us sitting there in companionable silence scribbling away. And then I found out I'm the only person on the planet apparently who wanted to sit in a Zoom meeting while writing an essay. Um, so what we've changed that to is um, uh, we present a topic and so i'll pick one consultation so the upcoming one for november i picked the dementia consultation uh previous ones have been on land reform biodiversity well. so i pick the topic i try and find someone who can speak uh, about it intelligently if we don't have an intelligent speaker they have the speaker of last resort which is me and uh, then um i uh we present it and that starts our discussion. So we've had some very interesting discussions and people come with a lot of perspective. We've got a very high calibre of get, of just visitors, just people who turn up to these Zoom meetings. They're completely open to the public. They're not a political party or anything. Quite happy to have anyone with any views just turn up and hear about it because as a country, as a community, as a Commonwealth, we should shape the government. That's how democracy is supposed to work. We should be civic.
0: It's quite important to say that you don't even really you don't even need to agree with uh, the Commonwealth line on a particular consultation. we do respond to consultations. You can come along to the club with a completely different view of uh, of what we think about it and just get help filling it in.
1: Yep or get help thinking about it. you can like, you can fill it in yourself Just just kind of get the cogs turning.
0: So if I was someone who was thinking about responding to my first ever consultation and I didn't know what to do at all, what would be your top three tips for for putting in a response?
1: Top one tip, buy a mile, click submit. Whatever you do, it needs to end in you clicking submit. If you write half an essay and then give up, that's useless. Yeah? Yeah? If you write half an essay and click submit, some fairly bright person at the government is going to have a look at that and say, oh, yeah, we see where they were going with that. And that's quite an interesting view. The next tip I would say is your lived experience really helps. I I can talk forever on almost any subject, but when I talk about disability benefits, that's something that I've lived in my life and that I've lived through helping uh, clients who come into our charity for support. Oh, i was on to a third tip. Third tip, I would say, is don't be put off by their framing of the conversation. Work out what you want to say and say it. And if it doesn't fit neatly into one of their boxes, it doesn't matter.
0: Mm, I would certainly agree with that 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 third one. Uh, we've had several uh, consultations come our way where the question was of the forum. Do you agree with this particular view of our government proposal and we've had to say no and we think the question itself is invalid here's how we would better ask it and here's our, ans- our answer to that.
1: Yeah the biodiversity one had a few of
0: those. did <laughs> um, the land reform one I have to say yeah. um, and the energy one and several others. <laughs> um, yeah one I would add to myself is if you're uh, is that there is a a tendency to look for agreement from the Scottish Government. Uh, The Government loves people to say uh, that they agree with the proposal. So if there is a question, do you agree with the proposal? If you agree with it, great. But we've found that if your answer is yes, but here are some caveats, you're more likely to, to be just lumped into the box of yes, they agree rather than to be a, the, the caveats to be addressed. And that's one I'm quite sensitive to. So unless I fully agree, I tend to say no because here are some caveats.
1: That's a top tip.
0: Um and also a very big one, you've mentioned it again, you don't need to answer every question. We don't either. Um because yeah, some of these consultations do go into esoteric detail that we're quite frankly not qualified to to, to respond to. And if you are, great. But I always tell people if you can answer one question and that's it, that's still a valid response.
1: Click submit.
0: So, what consultations do you currently have your eye on?
1: Well, the way I'm working uh, running this group at the moment is about two weeks before we hold our monthly Zoom meeting, I'll just decide what I, what I like the look of. And so, Uh, A few days ago, I had a look at the list and I thought, hmm, there's a couple, but I think this dementia one would be really interested. And I also wanted to shift off environment because we've done a bunch of environment ones recently.
0: Right. And when is the next consultation club and how can people get involved?
1: It's on Wednesday, the 9th of November, and I'm hoping that you'll put the link to my post about it in the show notes.
0: I shall indeed. And again, I highly encourage all of our listeners to come along to that and share your thoughts on the consultation process when you do um, and and just generally get involved because our voices in this are so, so important. And if you don't click submit, they're not heard.
1: The last thing I'll say is that the Zoom meetings are really fun. It's just a really interesting bunch of people. And sometimes my breath is taken away by how expert and how how much I learn listening to the people who come along and talk about it.
0: Well, again, I will highly encourage all of my listeners to come along and hopefully next week will be a uh, a bumper meeting.
1: Well, I would say it's dementia, so don't forget.
0: Well, Simon, thank you for coming on to the Policy Podcast. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you as a listener because I know that you have been an avid listener for, for some time. <laughs> um, and... I just want to finish up by reminding everyone, as I always do, that Commonweal as an organisation is entirely funded by our donors and supporters who give us an average of about £10 a month. We don't have government money. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't even have adverts on our website. So if you want to help us with our policy work, with our consultation responses, with our campaigns, and with this podcast, and please, please donate to the, the the cause. Thank you again to my guests for, for coming on. Thank you to all my listeners. and I'll speak to you all next week.